of Dopey is brought to you by Oro Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, in Silver Lake, and somewhere in Western Los Angeles. Oro was created by our good friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission, to create a facility that treats addicts and alcoholics with connection and compassion instead of control. They've had decades and decades and decades of experience treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They make sure that your detox is as comfortable as it possibly can be, which is critical when you're kicking horrible drugs and alcohol, as we all know. And they have amenities that you wouldn't believe. Fucking sound bath meditation, the fucking surfing, equine therapy, and of course, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. That's a lot of good stuff in one place. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I cannot suggest Oro enough. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Soberlink. In using Soberlink, somebody cares about your recovery. Unfortunately, relapse is so common, especially when it comes to alcohol, because it is widely available and highly prevalent in many social settings. That's why having true accountability and a deterrent from drinking is so important for staying sober. Soberlink has been empowering and helping people with alcohol use disorder since 2011 and is trusted by hundreds of treatment facilities. The Soberlink system consists of a portable handheld device that documents proof of sobriety in real time, keeping you connected to your family, friends, sponsor, treatment professional, recovery coach, or anyone else who worries about your well-being. As an exclusive offer to our listeners, email info at Soberlink.com and mention Dopey for 50 bucks off your device. Do it for that someone who cares and let Soberlink help you to stay off of the sauce. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Knocking Doors Down. Knocking Doors Down is a podcast with the mission to end the stigma around addiction and mental health with humorous, honest, and vulnerable conversations featuring guest celebrities, experts, and everyday people. Celebrity guests sharing their stories of addiction and mental health issues include Charlie Sheen, Bam Margera, Kelly Osborne, AJ McLean from the Backstreet Boys, Cheryl Burke from Dancing with the Stars, Denise Richards, Gary Busey, Butch Patrick from the Monsters, and me, 
Dave from Dopey. You can check him out wherever you get your podcasts. It's hosted by Jason, who's in recovery for addiction, childhood trauma, sexual trauma, and a family lineage of addiction, and co-hosted by Mikey, who struggles with substance abuse and mental health issues, including depression and anxiety. For more information about knocking doors down and for being able to see them on YouTube, you just go to kddpodcast.com. That is kddpodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave. Hope you guys are well. It is a beautiful November day, unseasonably warm, global warming November day, and uh, very excited to bring the Dopey, but I'm going to bring the Bougie now, and uh, basically, I need to talk about fucking Hamilton, all right? I, I apologize. I need to talk about Hamilton. Last year, my dad bought Nora tickets for us to go see Hamilton, and then COVID happened, and we didn't go. So like a year and a half later, we got the tickets, and my whole family went into Manhattan to go see Hamilton. My father took Susan to the Museum of Natural History, which she was incredibly excited to go, and my dad took her to the planetarium, and she had a fit because she was scared the planetarium was leaving the earth to go to space. And she cried and said, grandpa, Alan, I don't want to leave earth. And, uh, which was great. My dad and Susan bonded, they got McDonald's and me and Linda and Nora went to times square. And like, I swear to God, times square is like a bad acid trip. It is, it is terrible. You know, I don't know how people spend time there. Um, the kind of person, like, I don't mind Times Square, but I walk through. I don't hang out at Times Square. Linda likes Times Square. She likes watching a train wreck. And the train wreck of Times Square is, like, the future. Like, just the most frightening version of the future with these, you know, people in fake Mickey Mouse costumes and fake Transformers costumes begging for money. The naked cowboys still there at age 50. And now there's these like naked cowgirls with him. It feels like the end of the world. It all feels very back to the future too to me. And then we regrouped and we went to go see Hamilton. And I swear to God, it was like incredible. I cried my eyes out at Hamilton and, uh, you know, I know I, I, I am a, an incredibly heroic figure to a lot of you. I'm very hardcore. You don't think of me as this bougie Hamilton going guy. I don't want to let any of you guys down that I cried my eyes out in Hamilton. But before I talk about that, I want to talk about when I first saw it, uh, you know, a year and a half ago, Disney Plus put it out. And um, it was around the time where that kid, uh, William who died in the Dopey Nation, and he loved Hamilton. And he was really interested that I was liking Hamilton, and I wanted to talk to him about it, and then he died. And, and I love Hamilton for a lot of reasons. The first reason is because, as I've said this many times, just to be my own version of a humble bragger, the guy who created it, <clears throat> excuse me, a guy named Lin-Manuel Miranda went to my elementary school and my high school, which I'm very proud of. This guy is like 
a genius. He had the same music teacher as me. Also, the dude who wrote Frozen went to my same elementary school and high school, and he had the same music teacher as me. And you know she was telling them something that she didn't tell me. Because maybe I should have written Dopey the musical. But anyway, I digress. When I watched the fucking Hamilton on Disney+, Plus, it made me feel very emotional um, about Dopey and about the Dopey Nation because Hamilton is very much about the creation of America. And maybe I'm being overly grandiose, but I really felt this thing connecting you know, them creating America and me and Chris creating the Dopey Nation. I know it's very grandiose. And one of the songs they say, uh, they say, raise a glass to the four of us because tomorrow there'll be more of us. And it still gives me the chills because of everybody that's come along our journey, you know, that started with just me and Chris. And now it's so many people who are so invested. And there's just so many things in Hamilton that I think are, like recovery related, like, like one of the songs they say, look around how lucky you are to be alive right now. And, uh, just a million things. So, I mean, forgive my bouginess, forgive me. If you thought I was incredibly hardcore, I'm sorry to disappoint you. And if, and if not go see Hamilton, it's really good. I think I'm going to watch it again on Disney plus this weekend, but it's funny because just before, uh, I started recording. I was talking to producer Sam about Hamilton and I played some songs and it made me feel very like a cornball that I liked it so much, but you go listen to it. Tell me what you think. Send me an email. If you think my comparing me with Alexander Hamilton and Lin-Manuel Miranda is grandiose. I, I would love to hear an email. Send it to me at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Oh, this is very important. From now on, if you send in a voicemail or an email and I read it or I play it, bam, you get free dopey socks. What do you say? Send in a fucking good, funny, great dopey story. All right? Just send one in. And if I read it or if we play it, bam, you get free dopey socks. Which leads me to the most important thing of all, dopey Patreon. You guys, please join Patreon. It's incredibly helpful it creates autonomy around dopey it gets me inches closer to leaving cats's which would really increase the spectrum of dopiness in the doposphere and in the universe in itself there's tons of amazing material on dopey patreon there's videos there's the first ever ben and jerry's tasting video is up right now i just posted the last of the chopped and screwed installments which is heart-wrenching if you have uh, any desire to hear the just terrible tragedy, you should listen to that. But there's also a lot of fun stuff with my dad. There's music. Go to www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast and please help with the effort. Also, we have tons of gear. There's a new design coming out this weekend, which I'm very excited about. We are in partnership with SRO Prince out of Cincinnati, a couple of addicts over there, making our gear, making shirts, making hoodies, uh, great kiss Christmas gifts. Go to dopeypodcast.com and check it out at the store. And then also fucking Good Morning Dopey is ripping and running all over YouTube. So go to YouTube, subscribe to the Dopey channel and, uh, I don't know. We're starting slowly with these daily reflections, but check them out and, and new stuff is on the way. All right. I think that's it's really an exciting time to be a part of the Dopey Nation. But this this episode we have is incredibly raw 
and emotional. It is the bass player from the band Coheed and Cambria. The guy's name is Michael Todd, and he's been through the mill, and he is incredibly brave and honest. And here he is. Everybody likes a good dopey story. And my guest had one of the craziest dopey stories that was ever in public, like a public crazy fucking dopey story. He was the bass player in a band called Coheed and Cambria. Michael Todd, welcome to the show. How you doing, man? How you doing? Very well. Happy to be here. He came in late. I fucked up. I was like sitting around waiting for him. And I looked in my bag and, and I forgot a cable. So I had to run to the store. We get back here, get him some nice herbal tea. And here we are. And here we are, yes. The best thing to me is that any hardcore uh, dopey fans out there remember when we had Josh Eppard on the show, and Josh Eppard told your story. Did you listen to him on the show? I, you know, I started to, and I couldn't. I really, I couldn't at, the, at that time. Why? You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, same reason I am afflicted. It was like making me feel things I wasn't. Like, what did it make you feel? So, I mean, being out of the band alone is a uh, sensitive thing for me, and I still don't even know how, I've, how I process that, how I feel about it. But also, you know, once my story becomes, you know, comes up in conversation, and especially if I'm not there, right. I just can't listen. To, I just so couldn't like, listen to it. You know, I didn't want to. I totally understand. I didn't want to take the chance of feeling something that I didn't know I was going to be feeling that day. Absolutely. It's like the idea of tuning into something and hearing someone tell my story when you weren't a part of it. And then the randomness is that around the same period, my, how did you find out about Dopey in the first place? The This American Life story, like a lot of people, I think, probably did. Um, so I, I had heard that, I mean, a while before I contacted you. You know what? I don't remember what prompted me to reach out to you that day. I think I was just like, you know what? I want to introduce myself to this dude. You know, same struggle. You know, we've, uh, you know, we've both been in the war. And uh, I was like, you know what? I need, I need more friends in this world. I'm going to reach out to this guy and say what's up. And we talked about maybe doing the show. It just never happened. It never happened. We tried to make it happen, and then schedules conflicted. And you, you seem to be doing a lot of service work in upstate New York, helping a lot of people. Yeah, man. The life of, you know, an unskilled laborer post- Rock and roll. Look at that. I brought my own soundtrack. That's nice. Um, the weird thing is that you hit me up within a week of him being on the show, yeah. and it was totally disconnected. Totally by chance, yep. That is like, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big person to say, God shot, Todd shot. I don't say that kind of stuff. You know, my friend Todd died, so we always would say it's a Todd oh, yeah, shot. That's right. Um, but, uh, it's, it's one of those things at my meeting, they're like, there's no such thing as coincidence. And I don't like any of that stuff for me. It's like everything happens. So that, I mean, like, what was the show where they say, well, it's not a big coincidence. There's just coincidences. There are no big coincidences or little coincidences. Right. Right. I, I know what you're talking about, but I can't place it either. But, uh, but I know what you're saying. I try to, I don't know, pay attention to things like that too. And, you know. Let the situation play out in my life like it's uh, like it's supposed to. And this was one of them, man. And when you reached out to me the other day, I uh, yeah, and invited me down. I was like, I'm right up the right up the highway. I'll come on down to the city. And again, I haven't been down here since pre-pandemic days. I'm a little nervous about being here just because I've been so isolated. Not even, I mean, 
it hasn't been a it hasn't really been a thing that's that I've had to worry about. And being down here, I'm a little worried. Are you worried about COVID, or are you worried about just being around so many people when you've been like nice and sequestered and safe? You know, I, I want to. It's definitely not COVID. It's definitely I've become this new breed of personal introvert. Like during the pandemic. I don't know how to get out of that. That this is a good this is a good move towards that direction. This then. is totally like yeah. This is this is a uh, me work. Me coming down here and doing this is totally uh, a piece of a piece of therapy for me to get me out of the woods for literally five minutes. Li- absolutely, literally. And you're on the twenty first floor of a nice building full of old Jewish people, so I'm sure you feel right at home. Love it. Right? Absolutely love it. So, your fucking story is is crazy as hell, and I was never like a big coheating cambria person it, it came to me through that guy josh yeah, yeah you know no no through that guy jack josh right, right, came right. to me through jack and i was like i've heard of that band blah 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 but when i read your story i was like holy shit that's the story i want to hear when did you get when's the first time you got high first of all i mean i've got different degrees of high in like high school and stuff but my you know, full-blown addiction really blossomed in, in, in my 20s from a doctor's office, like a lot of people. Especially being on tour 300 days a year in a van for years, you know, your, your back hurts a little bit. And they were very, very happy to still write scripts. And I really didn't even know that Vicodin and Oxy was opiates or heroin. I mean, eventually I did, and I didn't really run away from it. But I, I tried everything in high school, but... I don't want to say I managed. Maybe I just didn't. the 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 disease didn't totally metastasize until I, you know, I found I found uh, the opiates. Because it's never been about going out and partying or staying up all night. It's been about anesthetic. Sure. And so, for me, it was about total comfort. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like, like to shut off that feeling of of self criticism, of thinking, of like just dull the levels 100 percent. i always am thinking about what other people are thinking about me always up in my head i have this gnarly guilt default from being a kid and yeah it 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 turns all that shit down and that was that was the only way i could sleep after a while and uh, you know i think it's interesting that in your early 20s was in your early 20s i'd say i'd say mid 20s my early 20s i was the driver of coheed like literally i drove the van Nobody else really drove. Travis drove once in a while, but, uh, and I did a, oh, fire. Mm-hmm. I forgot I put the kettle on. That's totally my fault. I, I microwaved like, the tea. It's like, not your fault. I didn't think to shut it. I thank God the kettle whistled or I would have burned my dad's apartment down. <laughs> so, like, you're the driver. Like, when you became a musician, like, how connected was getting high in music? Was it connected at no, all? No, no, it wasn't. I mean, the music was definitely an independent thing. Before, long before I was old enough to drink, I joined that band. You know, uh, we would drink and, and smoke weed certainly as teenagers, but it was it really wasn't connected. It wasn't like a let's get stoned and write songs. It always kind of had its own place in all of our lives. I think uh, back then, I'm a few years younger than all of the guys in the band. Uh, from like, I think Josh is the closest. He's like a year or two older than me. And then Claudio is the furthest. He's four to five years older than me, I believe, four years. But um, once we hit the road, and we were really eating shit for years, like we didn't have any tour support. We were eating cold soup out of cans, sleeping in the van most days. Uh, You kind of settle into a position, and I settled into a lot. I acted the tour manager, the driver. You know, I'd advance the shows, read the fucking Atlas, because this is long before... You know, it's the beginning of like MapQuest printed out directions days. 
So it was still a matter of like calling promoters on pay phones outside of cities to get directions. I was so busy that I think I just, it didn't have a chance to happen earlier or else, or else I'm sure it would have. How did it happen? Like, like when you go to the doctor, like, and you're in your twenties, why is the doctor giving you scripts for opiates in the first place? Knees. I have like a knee, uh, kneecap thing, patellofemoral syndrome, back pain, just from lugging equipment, you know, a hundred times a week. And, uh, again, there wasn't really the, the options that when you're in a town for one night, in a city for one night, the doctors are going to be like, well, you can't do any long-term progressive physical therapy. I'm not going to do surgery on you. All I can do is give you painkillers. Right. So great. Bring, get, bring it on, bring the painkillers. I didn't know that I was becoming addicted to them while I was taking them for a while. In fact, one time I went on vacation to Florida without having a prescription and I didn't know why I was so sick. I thought I had a really bad flu. Like I, who are you with? Alone, alone. I was seeing a girl down there. So we, uh, we hooked up, but I took a couple days to get over my, my terrible stomach flu that I had. I had no idea at 26 years old. I didn't know that I was fucking dope sick. I had no idea. And when did you figure it out? Not long after. I mean, you know, there, there's a big difference between walk me pills. through that though. Cause I like that kind of a story. You fucking turn up in Florida. You feel like shit. You don't realize that you need the pills. When did you realize that? When did you realize, Holy shit, I need a fucking Vicodin or a Percocet. Not, or not then. I, so I didn't, you kicked then with her. I, I kicked on and off a bunch of times without even knowing it. Eventually it kind of became a, uh, the Oxycontin thing was happening on the street. When I didn't have the Vicodin, the Vicodin started coming with me to the bar and that's when it started becoming more of a casual thing. I had like a never ending, uh, recycling prescription and I would drink and take them cause that makes them work more, I guess. Uh, then when buying those on the street was starting to happen, uh, Oxycontin appeared in my life. And I'm actually a, pl a plaintiff on one of the lawsuits uh, right now against, uh, with Purdue, Sackler against Purdue. Yeah. Nice. Um, how much money are you looking at with that? So, so uh, re really, I mean, I'm a very cynical dude, man. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking some guillotine shit because they are, you know, the rich are really eating us right now. But, uh, I was told that it could be as high as like 50, 60 grand. Wow. Um, or as low imagine, as you know, nothing. Although imagine if they give you right 60 now. grand for being addicted to fucking Vicodin and Oxycontin. You know, fuck them. It's the least they can do. Not that I think that anybody owes me anything for my disease, but for real, fuck them. Like, I would love to, uh, if you get the money, you need to let me know. And if anyone who's listening in the audience right now is part of this class action lawsuit, can they get to be a part of it? Or it's is it too, too late. That one, it's too late. Uh, you had to uh, sign up for it online. I think last before last summer. Please write in an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. But you're going too fast for me from, from getting a prescription yeah. to needing to be on the street to buy pills. So that, was, that was years. And being on the street, I just mean buying them illegally, getting them from people who weren't a doctor. And that's when it was recreational. And that's when one Oxycontin, we split it like six ways, you know, me amongst my friends and eat a little crumb. Uh, eventually, again, I'm going to tell my story. I'm not going to involve anybody else in the band in it, but you know, Josh isn't shy about it. He and I were doing a lot of the same shit at the same time back then. And we were blowing lines of Oxycontin and that was, it was like, would it be like you would get high and then play or would it be, you get high after a gig or during practice straight up? How it really was, was when I was home from tour, which was usually between three and five weeks at a time, I would start taking pills, I would get pills. We would start fucking around with Oxy and doing all this shit. Tour would start, 
I'd have a couple pills for like a week. I'd do a little kick and just be on tour then because I really wasn't, uh, it didn't follow me on tour until I couldn't physically couldn't leave it home. And I, that transition happened subtly, you know, let me ask you this though. Yeah. It's like for me, like being high when I was getting high, being high was like my, my favorite way to be, you know? And, and if I wasn't getting high, I was incredibly uncomfortable and I fantasized my whole life of being in a band that people cared about touring. Like I played shitty gigs in the Hamptons and in Manhattan and tiny ska bands as a kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, So I never got the experience of touring, but I would have, I would have loved to tour high. And then when I think about you kicking before each tour, did it ruin the tour in a kind of way or did you just recalibrate? I recalibrated. It was a, I had a I had a, a, a long resiliency. I was able to kind of bounce back for You're a, young, for a while. Healthy. I was super young, you know, and really honest to God, the being doing, and, and let me be clear. You now the first year plus of touring was like we were playing to sometimes paid attendances of one, two people in some some towns. So, uh, but you know, once once crowds really started coming out, the adrenaline was flowing every night. That really it really was more than enough to take care of like physical pain and a lot of the discomfort, but it really is those other 22 hours of the day. And yeah, once the physical pain starts settling in and forget it, if you're going through some emotional pain, like, uh, you know, your partner at home is, you're having problems in your relationship or whatever you, any kind of homesickness. I never really had a homesickness thing, but any feeling that you don't like feeling gets, you know, exasperated by, 10 when you're on the road, especially if you're crammed in a tin can with six other grown men. Is it six people? So then it was, yeah, the four bandmates, usually a, um, a tour manager, and then a friend Quam selling merch. That was the general. It grew from there, of course. And actually, if you want to know what really pushed that world into like the full-time touring, needing to, you know, get well all the time, it was when... I started losing a lot of the responsibility. The more responsibility I gave away or like we successed out of, you know, we started having to hire somebody because I didn't know how to read the contracts above a certain complexity of, you know, so there's like a line of professionalism where, you know, things like hiring union people to, to work shows and stuff, all of a sudden, you know, we've played some shows where I'm not allowed to change strings on my bass. I remember those, I, those are stories I tell about how strange the, the world is. But with every one of those acquiescences um, comes more free time and more time up in my head. And, you know, if my knee hurts, it hurts 10 times worse for, you know, all that time that I'm not doing anything. I read a lot of books. I wish I had developed more healthy hobbies back then. I didn't know that I was damning myself to this. But were you like at what point? Like, so you're, I mean, you were the driver for the Coheed and Cambria van. You were yeah, the fucking 100%. de facto tour manager. You were probably, you were all probably de facto roadies. And, and you have so much to worry about and you're so scrappy and yeah, getting yeah. high didn't come first. And hungry. We believed in the project a lot. We all loved doing it and we loved each other. We had a long, I think, honeymoon period once we hit the road. Um, yeah, it was, it was enough. It was, I was, uh, I, w- I was busy, too busy to, to have, I didn't get there yet. I just didn't get there until my late 20s. The more free time and um, 
but yeah, once I started knowing that I was taking it recreationally and that I wanted to feel that way more than I needed to, for whatever reason, if I ever really needed to, you know, I don't know, but I don't, there was never a conscious moment, like an inflection point where I was like, turn back now. It was like, I was looking at it from afar and then I was deep in it the next day. That was, there was no, do you remember, do you remember like when you felt like, holy shit, I'm not looking at this from afar anymore. The aunt, I, it was the first time I got clean. I didn't even see it until then. I didn't believe it until I put a little bit of time in between, you know, myself and the, and the shit. It was, I had left the band. I was 26 years old and I went through like $600,000, I think in like six months. Um, and I, at that point I'd gone to the needle, I'm shooting Coke and dope and I'm by myself with my dog in my house, my marital home. I was married at the time, only she wasn't around. She like, she got uh, freaked out pretty quick and, and uh, took off. From the needle and the Coke and the dope? Just from the, the me. I was, when I, once I'd left the band, that was, that was the decision of I couldn't go, I, I couldn't go to practice. I couldn't go to tour. I couldn't go to work. I had to get my medicine. I, I couldn't, I made the choice uh, that time. And uh, that's when I started using a needle was like the six months before I got clean the first time. Um, but so, yeah, I went to detox eventually after. What was the first time you, you used the needle? What was the story? I just met a dude, friend of mine in a hotel in Kingston, a hotel lobby to connect. And I was like, yo, how easy is it to get rigs? I'm going through too much of this, having to snort it. I need to save some money. I need to start. I need to start. Who told you it. that? Like, where did you hear the first time? Like, oh, you're wasting money if you snort. And were you, would you, did you move to heroin at that point? So the, when Oxycontin changed the recipe, I moved to heroin. And it was, when was the first time you got heroin? Oh man. Um, so it, I had gotten it intermittently because there were no oxys around and I never liked it as much. It wasn't as reliable. I thought, of course I was only sniffing everything. Um, I don't, I don't know that I just didn't know that. I just knew that if I pick this up, I only would have to do a half a bag instead of three bags. You know, I, th I think I just understood that. I knew a couple of people around me that were that shot, but they never did it in front of me. And it was never, again, never a social thing. So I asked him, he's like, yeah, well, we, we live in a, you know, a harm reduction place. You can just buy them at the pharmacy. Here's what you ask for. Have fun. And uh, then once I started mixing it with Coke, it was, I was like, you know, doing that crackhead shit in my house and like combating it with oxys and heroin and the needle to like come down. But, you know, hiding from the trees outside and ever doing the whole shit for like six months. hundred, I'm six feet tall. I was 130 pounds soaking wet when I went in. I was very textbook. And even then, I just thought I needed to put a little bit of time between it, get off the physical addiction. But I, I knew like immediately that I, it was, then it was like a, a what, what's the word, euphoric recall thing. All I was remembering was how good it would feel. And I had no um, fortitude. I had no fortitude, no willingness or desire to stay clean beyond that, you know, five day uh, detox. And I, for whatever reason, I followed somebody's suggestion and went into a 28 day program. And uh, that was like, you know, Christmas, New Year's, 2006, 2007. 
And was that when you got clean? That was when I got clean and I put some time together. But I want to hear the fucked up story. Yeah, I know, man. I'm trying to like figure out how you so don't want you don't want to tell dark. it's dark. But no, I certainly absolutely I, do. I don't want to put you, know you in a spot no, you, no, check in, it out. in a million places. I don't want to put There's you in shit a spot that, the, that those guys don't even know about like that, that I'm going to tell you know that I've spoken about in, you know, meetings and shit when I went. Um, I was back. I rejoined the band and Josh was not in the in the band. I, I was very conditionally because Josh was like in treatment or something before that. He was uh, he made the choice that I made and uh, he just left. Yeah. Yeah. So we were both replaced for a minute. Were you guys getting high together yeah. in that period? No. Or you were just like off on your own craziness? I was totally isolated. Yeah. I didn't even know where he was. How big was the band when you left? No, I want to. I don't want to say it was like the peak, but it was. We were. We were huge. I mean, we were selling out Terminal Five, Hammerstein Ballroom. What was that experience like? I mean, it was literally a dream come true. It was. This is it. This is it. And that's. Did you wear different clothes and stuff? Were you like like slick rock star oh style? My God. That's funny. I have like a terrible sense of style apparently because I had to be told eventually. There was like a fucking like, <laughs> yo. There was like a, a what do you call it? an intervention about my shitty a fashion, sense of style, a fashion yo. intervention. Yeah, I think I wore a lot of earth tones, like dark forest greens and brown pants and <laughs> shit. And I think Claudia one day was like, "Yo, my man looks like a tree every day. I hate it." And and uh, they were like, "Get some fucking jeans and yeah, button up shirts, whatever." There was yeah, there was a literal intervention. I I was so uh, fucking dumb looking, but uh, so no, no, it was very much not that we were. We, oh, we never thought of ourselves as being like, you know, you're ready, you're ready to ride. It was always, all that shit felt fake and forced. You know what I'm saying? I felt like a phony up there every time I was like, are you ready to party? Or That just didn't feel normal. And that wasn't the aesthetic anyway. The aesthetic was super raw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, loud we, and crazy technically proficient. Yeah, that was, yeah, we were a little bit street, I thought. You know, we were, we were technical and we took a lot of pride in that. Um, but we were very punk rock, uh, ethically, you know, um, super rock. Yeah, yeah. And it, we've danced into that world a little bit of like arena tours and I would love the ability to do that, but I don't know, man. I just always felt like a fucking phony. I, uh, but at that point, like before we get to all of the, like, I want to hear about the robbery and I want to yep. hear about the end of the band, but I guess something that I'm always interested in just cause I never got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. When you're becoming this ridiculous addict, this this opiate addict, this coke shooting, opiate shooting addict, and you're this bass player in a band that can sell at the Hammerstein Ballroom or Terminal 5, and you have like a cult-like fan base, how do those two worlds come together? Like, do you lose the fun of, of getting big or, or is it more fun to be fucked up or does it destroy everything? Like, what was the best part of using in those days when the band was big? It's a lot like just using in general. Like, uh, right. I, I want to say that the days I was using, I had shit, I had more fun those days, but I don't really remember them. And it's not because I was wrecked. It's just those aren't substantial memories. Like, the the... It wasn't real, and like enjoyment. It wasn't real. There's plenty of euphoria to be found in a world where you're paid a handsome salary to 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 create art. And I've to always do what been you love. a compulsive artist in that I can't express myself very well with words, and I can't articulate a bunch of shit that's always been going on. Uh, with music, I could do that, and it became my uh, career. One, the luckiest guy on the planet, but. 
but, but those, I can remember being happy those days and uh, probably maybe chatting with people a little bit more than I might otherwise if I was super high. But it, again, it wasn't really something I enjoyed. It was just the days all blurred together. The substantial memories just aren't there. What were the substantial memories of the rise of Coheed in Cambria? So there's a lot. There's, Do people just say Coheed or do they always say Coheed? Yeah, Coheed, Coheed oh, is the okay, shorthand, okay. I think. Thank you. I mean, it's just meeting so many people the days where we'd be on stage asking for a place to crash after the show and just meeting people. We were kids. We were fucking kids. And we met a bunch of people like us all across the world. You know, it was like two years before we even went over to England, and that's pretty quick. Um, I don't know how to describe it, except those were the best years of my life, legitimately. The years when I was the busiest, like that third time we'd come to a city and there'd be like 350 people there. I think that's when I felt it the most. You know what I'm saying? That was like, holy shit. It's working. It's working. This is it. This, we, we were right. This, there is a, you know, this is the thing. We do have something here. And I feel like a traitor to myself and to all the people who gave me that career and that the people who came to see us play and bought our records. And uh, so there's the... Well, don't feel like that. You're just a no, drug no, 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 addict no. caught yeah. up in the mix. I, I know. You're intellectually, just, I know that, dude, bro. Dude, come know? on. And like, I, I also want to know, like, when, like when, when, you're, when you're starting to feel like it's working, where were the drugs? Leisurely. It was fun. I was going out when I was home. I was hometown hero in Kingston. Josh and I were fucking around at the bars every night. We Kingston's an awesome town. Kingston's too. a fun town. Yeah, it's it's uh it's come up a lot in the last ten years too. It's Kingston's good. like the new Brooklyn. It's it's getting there one hundred percent. I was a little dirtier back then in the early aughts, but um, yeah, it was it was a leisure activity. It wasn't. I'd never woke up the next day itching. I, I would I would do it at night and not even think about it until I had it a day or a couple of days later. Until it just gradually infected my life when touring became full time and the and the oxycontin. It was the strength of that made it impossible to not feel it when you lose it. I remember when I when I was a kid, you know, when I was in my or probably around the same time period, around in my early twenties, and I had I was producing this dumb TV show and I was using heroin, and something just snapped in me. Something changed, and I was like. I want to do this, meaning I'm going to like, if you know, the Lou Reed song, you know, the heroin, I made a decision. Do you, what do you think? Do you know that song? Uh, heroin? Yeah. Yes. You know, when he says I have made a big decision. Yeah. Do you think that's the decision to, to do that? Oh man. I'm of several different minds in a way, in a way I do. I always felt like that's yeah. what he was saying and I could relate to it because I don't remember the day that I made a big decision. I just know that I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a more ethereal, yeah, again, it wasn't a decision, but there was an inflection point where the decision was made, but somewhere the decision was made. And it was, and it was a line in the sand. Yes. And, and, and our lives would never be the same again. 100%, yeah. And like when that happened, did you have, like, because it's funny, because when you talk about this, that you have guilt for the fans and probably for the band and for the whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you have it when you were using in the beginning or did the drug, the effect of the drug get rid of it? I didn't, I, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong in the beginning. I thought, uh, you know, it was just, uh, hey, and, you know, there's also like this stupid cliche that people kind of expect you to. Right. Especially when we jumped to Sony and had a bunch of, you know, 
fucking leeches around us. You know, the people that make their living, you know, taking money from artists. And the, the existence of that life also kind of pushed me further. And I was like, I can now say, I don't, I've never thought about it this way before. In other instances, so this isn't an original thought, but I was using at people then. I was drinking at people and getting high at Sony. You know, and all the people who, who, you know, overrode whatever decisions we might disagree on, artistic decisions that we had, uh, you know, there weren't a lot of artistic, uh, uh, you know, pieces of artistic control that we gave away. But there was like one inflection point in particular that I remember really making me pissed. And I was like, well, I'm going to be a junkie, you know, not wasn't a moment where I thought that, but I definitely was kind of became that caricature in my own brain. It's a weird thing to try to No, no, pin you down. to pin down, but also like I enjoyed the idea of it. I enjoyed the fantasy and you were actually a rock and roll junkie. Oh. You know? I I can tell I can used to watch like Bill Evans black and white of him playing piano on TV and like nodding out and I thought it looked fucking cool, no question. I thought dopeine jazz artists and like alcoholic I thought it was cool. I thought, you know, I was like, I, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be a Keith Moon type. Right. You know what I mean? Not, not, like, not the, the fun kind that dies young. Not like the, you know, Billy Joel drives his car into three houses in a week <laughs> kind of sad. I wonder how thing. Billy Joel's doing now. I think he's probably okay. Uh, I, I hope he's doing okay. <laughs> I seriously do too. Nothing but love uh, for, the, for the big man. But um, fucking, I think... It's it's so crazy that you actually did it. You know what I mean? Like you you had this fantasy of rock and roll junkie and you achieved it. One in a million, yeah. Oh, that part was a little easier to achieve than the actual music says. No, 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 part. but it's both. It's yeah. like you achieved both. You know, and, and, and when does it take its toll? I mean, so when I don't know if it if if there's any way that it doesn't take its toll, even if it's just for a, a moment. Um because there's gonna be repercussions if there weren't I would certainly still be using it if there were there's consequences no, no matter what whether they're huge ones or just like life ones like the, the the portion of the band I'm referring to where I don't remember so much just because I was in a soupy little happy haze um, what were you using in the haze I mean I used to buy just pillowcases full of oxys and norcos and vikings pills eating them mostly but snorting them when I got oxys and pill and where would you got got them from whoever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got no benzos. No, 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 no. Never, never fuck with those. I well, I've taken them and I learned real quick that I cannot. They uh, and no coke. Yeah, I did. I, once I started shooting the shit, I I did. When I was, but again, all by myself. It was the, you know, I was I was uh I was doing crackhead shit. Shooting coke feels feels like smoking crack, kind of. Like a little bit. It lasts longer though. Yes, it does certainly. But you get that the ring, that bell, that uh, was that with the bell ringing. Yes, yes. Yeah. that was Chris's favorite thing to talk about. Uh, I, I hate using that term because it feels so I don't know grimy. But yeah, I that, love that how how you're so sensitive to this stuff. It's very sweet. It's very nice. It's like it's like I see you tensing up when you don't even want to say the words the bell ringer. There's because I fucking hate that dude, man. Me, you know the that especially on like. Speed and shit. That's like really, really embarrassing for me. Like I was totally like, like uh, seeing police in the fucking trees and shit. Like a t full on like crazy. But um, 
Did you get to a point with that band where you were just like so checked out, like when you were in it, like when you're playing shows, when you're on the road, that it became like untenable? So they will say that there are times when I wasn't performing right, but I just, I don't believe that. I mean, certainly there were times when I didn't play well, but I've never like not been able to perform. I've never been, I mean, what what opiates did was they changed my, my pocket, my rhythm pocket a little bit. I had a little bit more f- fucking soul in me. You know what I mean? It, it, it put the, it, a little, it put a little more swagger on my downbeats. You know what I mean? Uh, I was a little less fast, but a lot more, um, groovy, a lot more groovy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I certainly wasn't better. And I was very lucky to find out that I could play without it. Cause a lot of people, after they go through that part, can't go back to it. Like without it. Did, did you ever form. read, uh, the Miles Davis autobiography? No, no, dude, no. you gotta read it. It's like the greatest. No. It's the greatest junkie yeah, memoir that, the one, right? that ever was. And 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 if you don't want to read it, listen to it on Audible. They have oh, like nice. they have this actor kind of like doing Miles on it, oh, and it's wow. it's very that, enter- it's very entertaining, and it's all yeah. Bill L. Evans stuff and like yep, all yep. all that stuff. But um, like when you go on tour with fucking Soundgarden, was that? Oh man. Was that the biggest, like, playing close to heroes? Was that, like, the most obvious, like, holy shit, we're here? Uh, so we've already, we'd already been through that, I think, a bunch of times. Like, I, you know, we played with, um, this is going to sound kind of corny, but there was, like, a, a show where we played, it was a one-off, a festival in Detroit, we played with 311. Okay. I have a real soft spot in my heart for 311. My friend Todd, my friend Todd lived for 311. Let me tell you something else that uh, the bass player from 311 is still one of the only people that I talk to in the music industry. Uh, after playing that show, the, the bass player called me, got my number, however, the next day and was like, I don't know, it felt like this like, welcome young man to the to the world of, you know, here here's, you know, you like 311? Now put me in your phone. And like Larry Lalonde from Primus and when I lived in LA having all those literal like phone numbers in my phone. And then when I started going to recovery meetings out there, forget it. I'm not going to put anybody on blast, but I don't want to say I felt like a fraud in that world. In fact, you know, off stage is when it felt most real. I was hanging out with my, uh, with my idols, my, my, my dreams were coming true. The Soundgarden tour, which was the tour that I fucked off on, you know, I was not, very in very good spot that whole tour you know i wasn't a filthy screaming fucking mess but i was in a couple different types of trouble at the same time and just life trouble but also like money drug trouble um what was the money drug trouble like nail it down as best you can so there was a five-year period between i got clean and rejoined the band and then i went out and did that crime you know so there was like Wait, say it again. There's a five-year period where I, you know, day one, I rejoined the band clean, had four months clean, and then five years later, I did that crime. So you kind of like, so what was that transition? It was very gradual. A five-year transition? I was clean for years. Okay. I was clean for a few years. I was, uh, my sponsor, this old jazz bass player I met in the Hamptons out here where I went to treatment, uh, hired him as as a... Minder? A more of a roadie. They, the, the band, if I was going to have a minder, which they wanted, they had to be someone who worked also. They weren't just going to pay someone to hang out with me. Uh, Not yet. You, you, didn't, you didn't hit that. No, that, you didn't was hit the, no that was it. I, got, I, I First, I had like the Dave Navarro's guy and like somebody else. And I, 
I'm not going to say his name because I think he's kind of a piece of shit, but uh, I, I ended up having to send him packing. Um, and, you know, I don't want to say that. We just had, we did not see things eye to eye. Um, it's got to be difficult to be young, successful, and, and, and be an addict and have somebody who's trying to keep you on the, the straight and narrow. I was okay with it. I was, I was okay with the humility, with being humble. Was Josh sober at that point too? No, Josh wasn't there. There was those five years. There was a different drummer and myself. Was anyone else in the band getting high with you? At no, that point? no, 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 no. So no. you were it, and you were like, yeah. so. And after the show, how did you how did you stay sober? I went to meetings. I went to meetings at that time, and I was uh, I was doing um, one or both of the main twelve step programs. That was uh, drilled into me early on. I don't think I would be here without it. I don't. So Sex and Love Anonymous and Families Anonymous? I have been to an SNLA meeting. Let me just tell you about that uh, in, in Los Angeles uh, for not the purest reasons I went. But, um, of, of course. Trolling its law? I just wanted to. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I was like, maybe. But um, Slaw is the after best. I got there, I was like, I don't really belong here. Um, even though I fit a lot of that criteria, you know. Everybody. Everybody. Er, Slaw is weird. It's the same motherfucking thing. Just like different words inter changed but hearing other people share their stuff that's where i was like i i'm i'm listening in on some shit um but i i i uh i fell into the rooms hard i stayed for a really long time i went daily i put some time together i uh over that five-year period i made it like two years and change uh before i went out and i went out for like a week and then made another year year and a quarter like, so when you go out for a week, what does that even look like? You put years together and then you're like, fuck it, I'm going to take a week somebody off. somebody who has some Vicodin. I mean, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Nobody will know. I can get, I, no, no, no. Yeah, not I'm going to take a week off. Not here's the period where I can, you know, it obviously started somewhere when I knew it was coming up. I was like, oh my God, I'll, you know, imagine. And I romanticized it. Like, oh, I'll just, I'll get good rest. You know, there's, you know, it'll be healthy for me and I'll just stop. I can stop. I've stopped before. Right. It's like, and I deserve it. It's, it's, like, it's like, it's like slipping from a diet or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I can do it. I, 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 I get that. I get that. Yeah. Failure and success are equally triggering to me. When I was using, I, if I, I, it wasn't like that. Like I, I never stopped. I never, I never, mm -hmm. I never stopped. So like when I used, I just kept using, yeah. but I can imagine being like, I got, I've gotten two years. I'm going to take a week off and then I'll get it back. It was because I was on the road too. Like if I was, if I stayed in Long Island for years or you know i moved to la then because i started going to meetings when we made our record out there and i developed a community um but so it was when i would go home to upstate new york from los angeles was my home that's where my home group was that's where my whole um you know my circle was of that life i had a, a lot of people that uh, uh that's where i was doing it and so yeah i was hiding it from them i i uh the the group and the fellowshipping helped keep me accountable just like it's uh designed to um, so yeah, I snuck out here and there and then I kind of got a bad hit in form of a, this is a benzo night. Again, this was not a get fucked up and party. My girlfriend I was living with went on tour. She was a musician also. I took some Xanax to go to sleep, which I thought it was just going to put me to sleep. And I woke up behind the wheel of her totaled car <laughs> at five o'clock in the morning. Okay. Quarter mile from her house. I like sleepwalked into the car and drove into some cars. Uh, ended up going to county out there for that uh, in Orange County, Santa Ana, and then in uh, I was back and forth between there and L.A. for a minute, um, which was the beginning of me not being able to stay clean. That was a miserable fucking experience. I've you know I've done a couple of little bits of county here and there, and, and um, K 
California. Boston was like a was like a vacation compared to those the county jails out there. That's real shit. I was fighting every day. And you most in jail? Yes, yes. Who are you fighting? So I was in a barracks of like 295 people where I was one of 11 Caucasian people. Um, all the rest of them were either Southsiders, the gang, the Southsiders, or the Paisas, which is the, the Mexican-Americans don't speak any English, uh, Mexican-Americans. All of the rest. Uh, African-Americans and Hispanics cannot mix in the county jail. They will immediately start throwing fists. So if it wasn't, you know, and there were a couple of little thug white dudes that if they steal somebody's something, they just go around and fuck up every white person. There's like a hundred year old guy on a DUI next to me on a cot and he got his ass fucked up for some stupid shit this dude did. Like there wasn't a choice. You were fighting. Right. And I was with the white dudes, whether I wanted to be or not. Right. And I uh, met some people. I met a kid who was a fan, uh, a young uh, Latino kid who was a, a Coheed fan. Yeah. And he was in Southsiders. He was a. He was in the gang. He was in the life. Uh, young, 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 young. I met a couple people. Made did he protect connects. you? Did he try to protect yeah, uh, you? So uh, this other dude did protect me. He did. He would tell me when to hide. Like he just knew something that I didn't. There'd be a change of the barometric pressure in there or something. He'd be like, yo, get under your bunk. I'd be like, what? what's, what's going on? Just, just do it. And I get under there and then like fucking roving gangs of murderers would be running by looking for anybody. And I'd be like, wow, thank God. What's the longest stretch you did in there? Oh, a month. And that was, and there was all possession was and drunken. No, no, that was the drunken driving shit right. uh, out there, which wasn't even alcohol related. But I got charged with a prior that they shouldn't have charged me with. I was trying to hide it from the band, so I got a public defender, and they were like, take 60 days. You'll be lucky to get 60 days. I'm like, what the fuck? Are you serious? So I had to come clean to the band that I fucked up, and I had to go to jail. But I went to jail, and like the First day in, the guards pretzeled me up outside for flushing the toilet at the wrong time. I got on that phone. I was like, get me the fuck out of here. Wait, what is getting pretzeled up? They like, you know, twist you up and push your your pressure points, take you outside where there's no cameras, and they fucked me up. I thought I was like, oh, maybe I have a phone call. And they fucked me up. Every day I was like, how can this be? If I ever get out of here, this cannot be. This is not real. I can't wait till everybody hears what's happening in here. Right. And it's... Soon as I got out of there, I ran, yo. I was. Did you use when you were in there? Brutalized, no. No, I didn't. Um, when you got out of there, you ran where? Just away from the fucking county jail. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I wasn't going to make anybody pay shit. I was like, those motherfuckers, they can't, you know, who do they think I am? Some fucking whatever. They, these guys can't beat me. But I was like, thank you, bye. And I just like fucking got back to my life. And I. Well, uh, the scary thing, scarred. though, the scary thing is to be. I mean, I lived out in L.A. for a long time and I used out in L.A. for a long time. And. Very aware of my privilege. I think I got very lucky. I got pulled over a few times, but I, n- I never had to go to jail. I got into accidents out yeah. there, and I never had to go to jail. I was very, very yeah. lucky. Now, after you got out of jail, though, you were still using. So I, I picked up at some point. More than that, there were moments when I was... So I also did a little bit in fucking Passages Malibu, I might add. Okay. I went to the Ventura one, so not the Malibu one. Um that was a fucking blast. How was that? It was great, man. I'm not going to lie. What do they do? Um, Head rubs, massages, that kind yes, of stuff? Yes, they do like... Sound bath meditation. Massage. They take you surfing, teach you how to surf. Equine therapy? Uh, no, no. Spiritually think, transformative you know, sweat lodge? They do at Malibu, no doubt. But they do. They usually like... The, well, it was the first time I was ever treated like a patient and not a, you know, not a criminal. Even any rehab I've been to, they treat you like... 
you know, you got to turn your pockets out. And I remember the first time I went in being like, why would I come here if I was trying to get high? Like, you why are you searching me? I didn't know, I didn't know shit, you know, after being through it a hundred times or whatever. So one thing I was doing, and this is what people don't really know, is I, w I ended up in a little bit of financial straits um, while I was in jail. I ended up owing people money for this and that, protection, a fucking hop. I was a hostage, I'm sure, in some way or another, but like, kept in touch with some people and I started, um, when I would go to New York to, to get ready for tour, I would send like a gobstoppers box full of balloons, a tar, ahead to my hotel in New York and I would turn that around and I would bring like, you, you know, however, uh, bundles of the New York China white back to LA with me. And I was, I was doing, even when I was not getting high, I, I did that a couple times. Was it Didn't always, last. was it always in the gobstopper box? Uh, that was what it, cause it looks just like them. Those, those sort of the like like quickly right it does yes, yeah, the colors yeah. the colors of the, the balloons color, are so totally. like gobstoppers yep, and the same size and yeah you hear mentioning gobstoppers kind of makes me want a gobstopper i like gobstoppers just the phrase yeah. everlasting gobstopper yep. that would have been maybe it's a, a very satisfying moment when they become like soft Powder. enough to just go through yeah okay but hold on i like this you're you're you're, you're buying like fucking Paquetes yes. of balloons on Skid Row. Yes, and a couple thousand dollars I'm doing back and forth. And uh, and that's for the tour, or is that to make money on? No, this is to uh, supplement my income. Okay. To help get me out of the... And eventually, I, you know, I started using some of it, and so then I would not make so much. Uh, just so happened that last time I was on tour, I was supposed to be meeting my guy, like, right around when the trouble happened, and he got picked up. He got popped. And I didn't find out, and I was going to be in a lot of like that was going to make things very complicated for me explain lost, a lot of money lost if you didn't go if you weren't on the tour no 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 no. this is if i didn't see this guy i was supposed to see while we were passing through new york were you supposed to give him the box of gobstoppers or no, were, no, no no that was already that was already done this is i'm supposed to pick up something going the other way from him yes and people were expecting you. yes and he didn't show up he got he was he got arrested so what'd you do I robbed a fucking pharmacy. But hold on, though. <laughs> like people, There's not pe a very wide gap, man. So I'll tell you what happened. Please. I was dealing with a horrible orthopedic issue that I could go into any emergency room in the country, get an x-ray, and they'd be like, oh, my God, you must be in terrible pain. Script, script, script. And so on Are you day, still in the pain? What's that? Are you still in orthopedic pain? No, not like I was. I've gotten several surgeries. Where was um, it? On my body? Yeah. Or where uh, this elbow? All right. Right up here. That tendon the, and the ulnar nerve. Okay. I would get like this uh, calcium deposit that would grow on my bone, and they had to keep sawing it off. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, here I am in, um, fuck, you know. Massachusetts. Yeah, where I was in Massachusetts, which is a gnarly area. I didn't know it was gnarly. I thought I was in the middle of the woods. I went to the hospital, and the lady right away was like, I'm not giving you any pills. You know, I, I didn't know that I was in, like, Junkie Central. Um. And I was like, I'm going to get this. And then when I found out I wasn't getting it, I, I was in the middle of nowhere. Holy shit, dude. And there was like, this that's like moment. the worst thing you could fucking hear at that moment that you're yeah. not getting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> else, I left while everybody else was still asleep on the bus. I was scared and I was feeling unwell. And I was like, people do this shit. I've heard this story a thousand times in the rooms. People fucking do this shit all the time. Do this shit meaning go to the emergency room? No, and get meaning those. go to the go to a pharmacy and stick it up and say, "Give me the shit." Hold on, though. Go slow. Take a deep breath. I'm I see, walking. I see. I see. I see. Like this is a very tense fucking thing. Well, it's also very small. Like I'm walking from the hospital back to 
where the bus is and where we're playing. So the lady turns you down at the hospital. And I sat there for three hours and got scanned and everything. Yeah, and you're and, like, and I got fuck, turned away. it must I'm have been like, the most frustrating fuck. thing. Yeah, yeah. And then you're like, I've heard that you can stick up a, a drugstore fairly I've easily. I've heard this story so many times. So what's the story? I don't think I've ever, the only time I heard the story is your story. Oh, it's so fucking embarrassing. So, I mean, it's, it's not like embarrassing. People, I don't think. I mean, I mean. It's only it embarrassing. Because, I'll tell you why it's embarrassing. Because I terrorized another human being. Okay. You know, I wasn't like, oh, you fucking bitch. You know, but I showed her something to read and I apologized. I'm sure she was still fucking terrified of me because I was, what a crazy fucking thing to give what, me the shit. You like, walk in and what happens? I walk in, I walk to the back counter, I wait till there's nobody around. I show her a note. That says, "Give me all of this that you have." What did the no, like? What did you ask for? Oxys? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, did I, you have a gun? No, 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 unarmed, unarmed. I implied. So when they say armed robbery, it's just because in Massachusetts, yeah, in Massachusetts, if you have make any implication that you're, you know, yeah, you don't have to actually be armed to commit armed robbery. Um, ugh, there's that feeling in the stomach. And, uh, and I did it, and I got it, and uh, within minutes, there were fucking cop cars. And I was waiting for a taxi. Stupid. I was crazy. Yeah. I wanted to, but I was also having horrible interpersonal problems with the group. With shit in my own life was a little bit hectic in other ways. I needed to get off the shit that I was, the, the, the roller coaster that I was on of just where my life was. And maybe subconsciously, you were like, I'm going to fucking blow this thing up. So it can finally I, be over. I was like, I'm going to get this or I'm going to kill myself with the cop. I was like, there's no way I'm going to live through doing this. ain't getting caught. You know, like a passive, like suicidal tendency is like my resting state. You know, I'm not a suicidal person, I'm, but I have to be really careful because I'm really cynical and, uh, and I feel I, I hurt like all the time emotionally, like in one, some way or another. Um, I also have a lot of love and I'm and a lot of fascination with the world and with the and I care a lot about the people around me. So that that's uh, usually enough to get me by as long as I'm clean. Um, what did the note I'm say specifically? It, it what did the note say specifically? Do you remember writing it? No. Out of body experience. Total out of body experience. The whole thing is. Right. And then and then I'm, you're I'm hearing it told back to me by prosecutors and police reports. What was the outcome of the whole thing? Uh, I got 630 milligram Oxycontins and went back to the... the, 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 the 600? And, uh, 600. So like six bottles. Uh, I didn't even take any of them before I got caught. Um, I was going to court for a year during which I had to stay in Massachusetts. Uh, I never saw any of the band members again after... From the night before that morning. Um... They saw me get taken away, and uh, they weren't coming for me, you know, and I don't blame them. No, you know, I don't know if I would have, you know what I mean? Not that they have... They didn't come for you, meaning like no bail, no nothing? Not even a thought. There's not a fucking chance. Leave them. I'm sure there was a thought. It I was, don't... Yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't know. I I'm do sure, not know. I'm sure there was a what thought. What I know is that there wasn't... An did, action. It did not happen. Um, there was not a phone call, and the cops were very surprised. They're like, oh, they're leaving you, huh? You know, there was like this whole thing. I spent the night before I got arraigned in the morning. Uh, got arraigned, went to county there. Um, the fuck was that jail? Dedham? No, not Dedham. I was in a, the one that, um, 
Lizzie Borden was in, I can't remember, uh, Fall River. Um, so yeah, that's when I ended up in County there. I eventually bailed out uh, after a couple months, and but still had to stay in Massachusetts. I went to court for a year and uh, paid a lot of money to an attorney that I'm still kind of paying for, and uh, pled guilty, got a year of house arrest, a couple years probation, some you know financial restitution and uh a lot of it was i was i had shown a lot of willingness willingness to change and do shit um in the time since the arrest to the settling of the case and um and i also had cancer at the time i was getting sentenced i got diagnosed with cancer right before what kind of cancer testicular oh my god so you you couldn't ask for like more horrible things at one time uh, but you were you you were using when you got out of the whole thing, right? When I got out of it, no. No, when when you got out of when you when you like right afterwards, like were you using at that period? When I got out of jail or got out of legal trouble? When did you get back into using? Okay, so in that period in Massachusetts, like you were clean. Years. Yes, yes. And you were going to meetings and stuff. Going to meetings, yep. Going to a couple of different kinds of. Uh, I, I, I had a I had a sponsee for a little while. How was living with, with that, with shame and guilt right then? I can tell now still it's still difficult to live with. It's, you know, it's hard to say, man, because I was very creative at the time. I was so happy to be clean and feeling good and the juices were flowing. And I love being clean. I fucking love it. I really do. Me too. I, like, I, like I, and that's one of the reasons that, you know, I bet for a while that was the permission structure that I needed. I know that I love getting clean, so I'm not going to stay out there. But that's all like that one day and I'm, I'm done. But I do love how I think, how I feel. I love being able to be creative. I don't like the being blocked. I don't like the, the cloudiness. I don't like the, you know, I like I liked being clean. And I was having a very good creative renaissance in my life. I was writing music. I got some people interested. I, you know, I, I, was, I was doing shit. Um, I think it was like a third surgery I got. I uh, lied about my painkillers to my sponsor, and then I went out, for, and then I, I kind of went out for X number of months, and then fled back to New York, to upstate New York. I, I'm not sure that I'm, they're, I'm not wanted. Actually, I'm pretty sure I am wanted in Massachusetts, straight up. For what? I, I just peaced, yo. I was in my last year of probation, but I just ducked. I just went. I left. I ran away. What are you going to do? Probably not go to Massachusetts ever again. You think that's you think that's the end of no, this no, thing? No, no, no. I think I'm gonna have to go deal with it. That this is one of those things that I like. Does and, that keep you up at night? No, no, not I'm anymore. gonna stay up at night. I've thinking, been arrested. I'm since gonna then. stay up thinking about it. I've been arrested since then. Okay, for and what? I've been arrested on a warrant that I had in Harlem here. This is like five years ago, six years ago, right when I came back. Uh, yeah, I was using again, and uh, I think one of the arrests it was like a real small possession, like twenty bucks worth or something each time. And uh, they said there was something in Massachusetts, but they're not coming for me um, because it's a commonwealth and they don't extradite to the commonwealth of Massachusetts. Yes, yeah, um, stay the fuck, stay out, the of fuck Massachusetts. out of Massachusetts. Yeah, I will, I will do time, no question. And how, how, like, every time you walk into a drugstore, does the fact that you could write a note and go to jail pop into your mind? Nah. Never? Nah. In I, fact, the first when I first got out of jail... And I went to a Walgreens to get some toiletries. It hadn't even occurred to me that that was a thing. And my brother came and bailed me out, and he was with me. And he was looking at me like crazy when I was like, I want to go to Walgreens. And I didn't even know what he was looking at me for. It didn't even occur to me. No, that was totally in the rear view. I didn't ever 
I mean, I still like am embarrassed and know that I did it, but it's not like it wasn't a fan a long time fantasy of mine. It was a. It was a short term. Uh, I need to accomplish yo, this thing because they didn't give me fucking drugs at the hospital. Yeah, yeah, and I'm gonna be in trouble when I get back west, empty-handed. So that was the plan. Like, who did you owe shit to in in California? Just some dudes, you know. And you owed them money. Yeah. Did you ever pay them? No, 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 no. But I talked. I talked to to one of them eventually, and they knew. They knew. Everybody knew fucking what happened. Right, and, and, that, it and like, that's like that lets you lost. off the hook. Yeah. Right, right, right. It's like it, your story is so fucking uh, traumatic. You know what I mean? And, and the traumatic aspect, the biggest traumatic aspect is that your dream came true and then addiction fucking swallowed you up. Such a motherfucker. And how do you live with it? That's, like, you know, I, I, I say the same thing all the time. So, again, I'm a, kind of cynical, but I, intellectually if i if i sit here and look at it i will tell you that the best shit is behind me my dreams are in the rearview mirror how old are you 41 ah you can do a million things yeah absolutely you can do I a can, million things i can i can do it again too if i want you know that's not out of the question but you know you just asked like how do I, how do you deal with that cuz that is a very real thing it's a very real um, it was, it's traumatic, it's emotional, it's, was in my hands and it slipped right through my fingers. And it's, it's doubly so because they are still doing it and the band still exists. How does that, how, how else. do you, how do you deal with that? I, well, I don't listen to the fucking music. I'll tell you that, that, that would be like watching, you know, yes. someone sleep with my ex. Right. Um, but, um, and Josh, Josh went back, boy. Josh yes. went back, Josh went back immediately after I left. It was very Oh yeah, I'm not supposed to talk about that. What? Well, uh, okay, you don't short, don't talk. Don't, shortly after, you don't need to talk about it if you don't want to talk. If, it, it's if not, it's that's like, not a secret that he okay. rejoined after I left, but um, the other things that were going on between, uh, yeah, whatever. But um, yeah, he went back, and he had been clean for a while on Suboxone, which I had, which I had known, and I firmly believe that you know, you're clean when you say you are. If you're on methadone clinic, you're on Suboxone, you're clean. I'm clean. I'm on Suboxone right now. All right, I've been on it for I'm looking at two years again right now. There's some truth, you know. Truth is the best thing. I don't have a whole lot of time, you know. I have had, over the past 15 years, I've had some years clean, but, you know, it's not been consecutive. And um, if, to me, it's about, like, long-term survival. So on a day-to-day -day basis, I mean, first of all, did we leave out any fucking really horrible but great dopey story between the robbery and now. You know what? I know we have, and maybe if, you if, can have me back someday. Because if I, anything I, pops like, into your head, yo. just spit it out. But I think, I think like I've tried to become, you know, I, I live for the, the fucked up stories, but I also live for like the, the, the transformative quality of this phenomenon me of too. getting out of it. And obviously that's why you came down. Like when you talk about enjoying being clean, I see it's true. Yeah, I yeah, see you know. it on your face. Um, and I am not somebody, I, I feel like you're very vulnerable, right? And you're very honest. And like, I'm not usually good at asking questions about like living with shame, but for some reason I want to ask you about it because it's like, it's so obvious that you went through something and obviously you're hanging in there. I think it's important. Yeah. So, yeah. How, so like people out there who fuck everything up, like, what do you suggest? And I fucked everything up too. You know what I mean? And I, and yes, I, yes. and I, and I live in shame. I just never got to, to be in, in a big band. Like I 
wanted to. Enjoying a very cool renaissance with this. Dad, where, where, where in my dad's kitchen? Where in my dad's kitchen? I'm getting texts from the job that said, "Oh, you sold enough pastrami today." It's like <laughs> it's not like fucking being opening for Soundgarden, and like yeah, it's not true. it's not like that. That's true. Where, you know what I'm saying? It's like I'm. I, you you asked me for lukewarm herbal tea at the start of this thing. It's like this is not riders of orange M and M's. This right. is Scrub City. But I'm happy to be here. I'm incredibly proud of 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 my sobriety. I'm proud of Dopey. Um, and 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 I I think I I deal with shame on a daily basis. You know what I'm saying? Like I think I deal with my shame on a daily basis. It's How, and, and like. Fuck, I, I just, I'm feeling it. It's know? important because some days, man, you, you ask like, well, how, how do I do it? I'm still figuring that out. Every day it's something different. You know, once I figure out um, a way to get, you know, get around the next day, I got to look out for the next thing that's going to, you know, that's going to get around that. Some days I'm barely hanging on. Some days I'm so sad I can't stand it. Um but you get really, through it by going through it. You get through it by going through it. Everything passes. Everything either gets better or it just fucking passes. You so, know what I mean? And the next thing comes. So what happened two years ago when you got on the subs again? Um, a failed suicide attempt, straight up. What happened? I took a purposely, ridiculously huge shot. and uh, how, how many bags was it? It was a bundle. And at the time, I, I'd been using for like a week or two, and I was like one or two bags would get me fucked up. I did ten. Um, somebody, uh, it was in. I don't even want to talk about where it was, but somebody found me, and uh, ambulance was called. Water was thrown on me. You uh, OD'd. I OD'd. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you and woke it was up. Another one of those fucking. Well, that didn't work. I would like to say like, oh, thank God, but I know I had that thing where like, fuck, I was almost out, you know, which is. So that's the darkest, most honest thing I can say, because I do not feel that way right now today. You know, I don't feel like that. The real human being who I am does not ever feel like, fuck, I wish I was dead right now. You know, I wish I had not survived yesterday. But that's where I go after a week these days, man. You know what I'm saying? And I well, explain that if I'm using for a week, I will, you know, death can't come quickly enough. I don't want to prolong it. It's not a consequence. It's a. You know it's a relief. I mean? It's, it's, it's a some, relief. Yeah. Right. The idea of it, I'm, I'll be out of this. And thing. I love people that mean so much to me in my life and they care about me so much that I would never do that. Maybe that's how it's definitely not being alone. You know what I'm saying? I have to, I've certainly cut a lot of people out of my life, not just uh, because of drugs, but also just because of how um, I tend to feel about myself when they're in my life. Drugs are the people, the people, um, well, both, really. But um, and you it's talk- very important to find supportive people that love you unconditionally because, you know, they're they're out there. You doing meetings or no? Uh, once in a while. I'm not working. I had a, a, a weird split with, uh, you know, this is all in my own mind, but uh, where I, like, I really got uh, turned off of the whole situation by something that I couldn't deny anymore. And, uh, but I still go for the fellowship. What was uh, the turnoff? Um, I, I'd realized that for ye, for like 15 years, I was watching like young girls get ad, taken advantage of by people with recovery. And like, that seemed to be what it, what it was all about. Right. And all of a sudden I couldn't not see it every time. Like the meat marketness Yo, of, of young people. It made me AA. fucking sick. Yeah. 
That's, I mean, like, and then it makes me think about there's just, there's all kinds of, we're, you know, we're addicts and alcoholics. We are, sometimes we need, you know, manipulate is a, is a, is a reflex. You know, we may not intend it, but I just don't like the power dynamic. I don't like the shame. Um, I don't like the counting days. I don't like identifying as uh, an addict. I, you know, I like to try to keep things in a positive thing, but that doesn't keep me away from meetings. Um, now I'm just listing grievances. What it really was. It I like it. Give me some more. The coffee's not good. The cookies are cheap. The coffee's fucking bomb. The cake. I love the cake. Um, and that really, it really was. Uh, I got turned off by people who had significant time in recovery um, by what they were doing with it. Right. And it scared the shit out of me. And it made me feel really sick. It's like they, were, they weren't like, here, that's my dad's fucking phone. Here, yeah. give me that phone. It's like, it, it's the opposite of what it's supposed to be. Yes, that's totally right. But it's still prevalent and like everywhere. And if it wasn't literally that, just I started seeing that power dynamic everywhere. And I started seeing people who cared and worked so hard not feel like they were welcome back because they made a mistake. Uh, again, these are individual meetings of people that I'm referring to in my experience um, that doesn't describe all meetings and it certainly doesn't describe the purpose of that program. It saves, again, don't think I would be here if it wasn't for that. It certainly is the best game in town, you know, for someone who can't like go to therapy seven days a week. Well, I mean, I don't know. Like I know that when I, when I first, I mean, when I didn't get sober, when I tried to get clean, I was doing a different fellowship and I would go at night and I, I would see what you were talking about, but I would kind of enjoy like the flirtatiousness of being like a young guy. Yes. And, and like there was a social circle and there were like cute girls. And I was like, this is this. It's like summer camp that, or something. It's exciting. That's exactly, yo, exactly how I describe rehab. My first time in rehab as I was having a fucking blast. It was exactly like it felt like summer camp again as being a young adult. People like you. It, and that was what uh, kept me in the rooms for a while was that. The flirtation, the, yeah, the youthful energy, and yeah, having those emotions turned off for so long, and then that shit waking up, you know, what a better place to be than in camp. But when I, but when I got, but I got distracted with all that stuff, and then I wound up using and, and, and really doing some really stupid stuff, and when I got sober again, it was at, always at super early morning meetings with like old people and like like retired people and people who are on their way to work, and there's very little like fraternization, yeah. you know, and it's very like, we're here to help the next person get sober. We're here. It's like, there's not really a socializing component. It's right. more like we see each other, we have coffee, we have a meeting and it's like, bam. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I like, I like that, you know? And then like, I don't know if you know about this, but like, there's this dopey nation community of, of people who are like, some are adverse to 12 step shit and some mm-hmm. aren't. And like, they do, they do dopey zooms. Like 25 dopey zooms a week. That's rad. All yeah. over the world. I'm aware of it. Yeah. It's pretty That's sweet. That's very cool. So if you ever if you're ever looking for a recovery, you could you could check out the, the dopey zoom world. I absolutely will. There's certainly days where I'm like scrolling like that, where I absolutely would do that. And um I really appreciate you uh taking the drive and getting so vulnerable. When you get so vulnerable, because most people don't. Like, I have to be honest with you. Like, most people have their story. It's like you kind of said to me, like, I haven't been going to meetings, so my story isn't going to sound like AA polished. Yeah. You know, and it's like, but that's really refreshing. Um, but it's also like serious vulnerability. Like, how does it feel to be in that, to be vulnerable in this strange person's yeah. apartment? Is yeah. it like fucked up? Do you feel comfortable? Like, what's the feeling? Uh, you know what? I feel, 
it feels therapeutic is what it feels like. And that's another reason that I wanted to do. I didn't know, I was trying to think of some of the really funny stories of off the wall shit that I've done. That we've all done. And I've got those and you know, maybe I'll, we'll go over them sometime or something like that. But I was very much wanting to this happen organically, however it was going to. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I am, yeah, I'm a very, I'm a very sensitive guy. I feel a lot. I've, weathered a lot. I've survived a lot. I'm middle age. I'm not a child, but I feel like a child every day. Me too. Day. Me too. Yes. That's um, fucked up. What do you do? Like, what do you do about that? Like I fucking, I'm scared all the time, dude. I, um, I read, I read books. I try to, I try to create something and, uh, okay. So let me tell you something that I've done recently to try to take back a little power in my life as an adult. I went back to college, uh, working towards a paralegal certification thinking that maybe I could take myself out of the, you know, unskilled labor market and also maybe do some good. Um, I took two semesters. I'm taking a semester off right now because I got this uh, this job that I'm doing right now that I really like and like the people. But I, I make myself useful in any way that I can. And right, and right now it's my job. I work silly hours. People don't understand why I care so much about this job that I have. But it makes all this, I couldn't go at it any other way. But that's why I went back to school. I needed to do, I needed to channel, I needed a new purpose. Yeah, yeah. I needed a new way, place to channel this shit because I can only, and not saying that I'm ever wanting to like live by the skin of my teeth or be white knuckling it, but a lot of times that's just how it ends up being. Um, not that I'm in danger of like walking out of my house in the middle of the woods and like relapsing or drinking or something because that, ge you know, geographically I'm not in the, I'm not on the front lines up there. So that helps too, but it's... Do you get a charge from being in Manhattan right now? And it's like, I know... My, my pulse is raising. I'm scared. Like, what are you scared of, though? Not Scared is not the right word. I'm anxious. Right. There's a lot of action. I have there. high anxiety happening. Um, and you used to cop in Harlem and stuff. Yeah. Did you cop on the Lower East Side, too, or never, just Harlem? I never did. I never could. I never knew where to go. Well, I'm not going to tell you. No, of course not. Neither am I. I was, <laughs> like, I was like, do I, should I tell places to show how much I know the city? I was like, no, what the fuck? Right, right. And the last time you copped, where and when were you? Um, Poughkeepsie. Yeah. Did you say Po-Town? Yep. Do people say that? Yeah, yeah. People say Po-Town. Uh, down on the South Street, which is Murder Row, they call it. And you bought dope there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a crazy world. Yeah, crazy. Mike, I can't. And what about the band? I know you talked to Josh. Do you talk to the other guys or no? Not yet. Um I, I totally randomly ran into this Claudia, the singer, at a, a show in Brooklyn. Um, not a, one of their shows or even a musical show. It was a, more of a theater thing. And it was... So, okay, so that fucking moment, I went out and got drunk after. That hit, that affected me so much. I wasn't, like, uh, counting days or anything. I had a lot of clean time. What happened? Um, I, I ran to him. We talked for five minutes, and it just emotionally... Distracted me. It, I was trashed. I was, I got drunk and I cried. That's what I did. And I felt like shit the next day. And, you know. And that was the last time you spoke to him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to Josh regularly, but I was straight with Josh. And I told him that, yo, you know, there's this time when I told him that, yo, I'm just survived a fucking suicide attempt and I was getting high. Um, and he, you know, he, as he should, when talking with those guys and me, it's not the right time for us to, you know, 
pave shit over or heal those wounds right now. This is years ago, a couple of years ago now. Who knows uh, what's going to happen in the future, but there was an opportunity missed because I wasn't well again. Well, and, uh, everything, that's, that's happens, another... everything happens the way it happens. Exactly. It happens the way it, it happens, and um, it's, it's, just, it's just hard. I hear you, man. That's crazy. My brother calling me. I had a same, the same thing happen to me like when I was at my worst, or wasn't probably at my worst. It was one of my worst, and I drew up a, a bundle and a, and, a, and a shot, and I hoped I wouldn't wake up. But I, I wouldn't. I knew I would, though. Like, did you think it was really going to take you out? I did. Uh, yeah, that day I did. Yeah. And were you, and you were most just, of the time. No, most of the time that's exactly my experience. That time I was feeling the hopelessness so acutely in that moment of having started to use again, and I could not imagine going through the early recovery, every all of that again, and also just wasn't satisfied with where I was. That's what took me out at that moment was I was not happy. I wasn't doing anything and I was um, just a deep in a deep depression and I and I and I went out and I that was uh, as, as probably as worst as I've ever gotten even with the considering the crime and everything. Like, that was the lowest. That's the only time I've ever considered like actually that being an option. And it really was that day and that's fucking crazy because that's totally not how I feel. Well, listen, I appreciate you being honest. I really appreciate you coming in. Yo, thank you for having me. I hope this isn't too dark. And I hope we can do this again and we'll talk about the funny shit because it's believe dark. You me, there's some funny shit. But there's there's a big elephant in my room. It's important. It's important to to, to have this talk. And yeah, I, and 100%. I, and I appreciate it, man. Well, I'm very happy to be here. Happy to meet you, brother. Right on, me too. Many more. <laughs> All right, so did you know that there... Well, before we get there, first, we are joined again by the lovely, vivacious <laughs> author, unlicensed advice columnist, and notorious humble bragger, Aaron Carr. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Thank you. How's it feel? It feels great, except I feel like I told you a minute ago, I keep, feel like I keep losing my voice, so... If it starts to crack a la Peter Brady, you'll know why. Michael Todd was worried about that. In fact, the first and most interesting thing before we unpack a little bit of the experience, Michael Todd was a heavy hitter mm -hmm. in, um, he really was willing to share vulnerability and shame. But just to, to fucking rat him out for a second, he's the first person that came in here. He asked me to make him herbal tea. <laughs> he asked me to make him herbal tea. And then he told me I didn't need to heat up the water, that I could just run hot water in the sink, and that would be good enough. Oh, that feels like sad tea. Very sad. Sad tea. Yeah. That's like an Indian kind of clothing, a sad tea. Sad tea. Now, um, so how you been? What's going on? I'm okay. How I... about that humble bragging comment on Twitter? <laughs> well, you know, it's so funny because when you line them all up like that i guess it does sound like that and you're and like oh I yeah doesn't everybody go to hawaii with willie nelson <laughs> i never went to hawaii with willie nelson lucas nelson <laughs> no lucas nelson either did you go No nelson's of any kind did you ever like i did go to hawaii but not with them no nelson's did no you go nelson's. to shemp gordon's restaurant shep no. gordon supermensch no did you did you play pool with Woody Harrelson in Hawaii? 
No. Did you? I didn't do anything. Did you explore <laughs> volcanoes with Paul Simon and Edie Brickell? Totally. Whilst 100%, you did? No. I Just Edie Brickell? Just Edie Brickell. No. But before we get to the Michael Todd story, there's a weird other bit of dopey trivia involved in Michael Todd's story, which is that his buddy and bandmate, right. Josh Eppard, was a dopey guest. And we kind of talked about that, that he had reached out independently of knowing that Josh Eppert had been on Dopey. But what happened after that was for DopeyCon 2, right? I wanted to put an all-star hip-hop group together. Oh, and yeah. Josh Eppert is a rapper mm -hmm. under the name Weird Science. And he has a huge, like a pretty big rap career under the name Weird Science. And I wanted to set up a Dopey all-star rap group of Josh Eppert, Weird mm -hmm. Science, this guy Kulichi, who's this big time recovery rapper right. guy and uh and maybe danny boy o'connor mm -hmm. or slain slain was right there he now he would have done it but at the time it was just in the end it was going to be josh and kolichi and then josh sent me a verse and the verse was pretty fiery it was great but it was just about drug addiction it wasn't mm -hmm. about dopey right and i was like do you think you can add some stuff about like big bird and chocolate chip cookies <laughs> and praying mantises and he was like he was like no He's like, I'm going to use this, this verse for my record. And like, oh. that was the last time I oh. talked to him. And that was the end of our relationship. That but, was that. <laughs> but he, he, he's, he told uh, Michael Todd to say hello. Oh, so okay. it seems like me and Josh, if Josh is listening, hello, Josh, I apologize. I think you're a great rapper. I just wanted you to talk about chocolate chip cookies in the verse. <laughs> Dopey. So, and Josh is the only one that Michael talks to from the band. It sounded like. So it seems. Yes. And, and Michael... That made me a little sad for him that there's... I hope that... Dude, I mean, the whole story. I hope that, yeah. I mean, but I hope that at some point they're able to have some sort of resolution there. It feels a little unresolved. If Coheed and Cambria make it to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I'll say that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is going to be needing bands mm -hmm. down the road, Michael Todd is going to get to play with Coheed and Cambria in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like, because they always have all the old members. Yeah. So, like, that would be some kind of, like... Resolution. Yeah. But I also think that, like, when, when we make Dopey, right, I want it to be... I want, in my mind, it's like Mark Maron show or fucking mm -hmm. Joe Rogan show. But in reality, it's a bunch of drug addicts who are trying to get their shit together. Right. Or, or like, and, and Michael Todd is like the realest of the fucking real. And he's willing to be vulnerable and to be super honest. And he doesn't have his fucking shtick lined up in a row. And like, there's something about that. That's like re just really refreshing and real and like painful. But, but it's the kind of pain that reminds me of, you know, seizing on the floor more than having a podcast. You know right, what I mean? Right. And I, I mean, he affected you. He affected me. Did he affect me or affect me? Affected you. How would he affect me? If he was going to affect me, he wouldn't affect you. He would have ha had an effect on you. So how do you affect anybody? You don't. What's the difference between effect and affect? Like, I guess it's a special effect. Well, a special effect, yeah. So you're effect, you affect, you effect change. How do you effect change? Well, that's that's just a word that you use. <laughs> What's the difference between effect and effect? 
I don't know how did I I honestly don't have an answer for you. I just know the rule. All right. <laughs> and yeah. So what else? You sound really smart. There's my humble brag. I feel really good about this moment. <laughs> so let's go to the. I, I have to say, I feel like half the time you're just trying to catch me in shit that I don't know. Well, it's, <laughs> I think you're ask Aaron. You're an expert. You know stuff. <laughs> Willie Nelson. No, my whole tag. My old. Well, actually, it's not now. But my original tagline because I had a blog called Rarely Wrong Aaron. Nice. Which was a, because that's what my friend, a couple of my friends had that nickname because I would know like random trivia. But the tagline for my blog was Rarely Wrong, Seldom Right. Okay. You know what I would love to do is I would love to do like a trivia game. Yeah. And see see how rarely wrong you really are. Oh, I'm sure. My, my brain has deteriorated with age. I'm fucking old. Well, you're my age. Yeah. I look much older than you. Let's go to the it's ask. My, I'm going to be older than you in a fucking nine days. My birthday is a week from Saturday. What year were you born in? I was born at the end of 73. Oh, you're older than, older you're older than, than you. me. Uh -uh. I look younger. You don't have a gray beard? <laughs> I don't have a gray beard. Wow. So you think I look old? No. I just said that I think I look younger than you. I think you look younger than me, But too. that doesn't mean that you look old. What do you think about my long beard? I think you should trim it a little bit. You think it's too long? Yeah. We're like, oh, shit, Dave's looking a little bit homelessy. No, I mean, I wouldn't have actually wouldn't have thought about it unless you drew my attention to it. Which I did. But only because I've been watching some of the Good Morning Dopies, I've seen that you were more closely shaven in some of the videos. My dad was on this morning. I haven't watched today's and, yet. And my dad, who's so self-centered, was like, you and Aaron should talk about my Good Morning Dopey. That's what he wanted us to talk about. Oh, and I didn't watch it yet. You should have told me. Well, it's better this way. Let's go Sorry, to the Alan. Ask Aaron notes. What okay, are... uh, my notes. Okay, so there were a couple things. First, you guys talked about the, it's it's not a Lou Reed song, it's a Velvet Underground song. Well, Lou Reed wrote it. Yes, he did. When you guys were talking about that, first of all, I always really loved that song. And I got into the Velvet Underground because I was obsessed with Andy Warhol when I was in elementary school and then discovered them through Andy Warhol. When I was probably, I don't know, I want to say 11 or 12 years old, it was before I had tried heroin. I was in New York visiting my dad. You're and such I, an early bloomer. It's insane. You got into Andy Warhol in elementary school? Well, yeah. How does that even happen? Because I had gone, I had like gone to MoMA or something and, I, and seen like the soup cans and right. like the Maryland's and it was like, ooh, that's so cool. It is cool though. You know? So then I got like a couple of books about him and then I bought the record the Velvet Underground record with the Warhol banana on it because it was Warhol. And then I got a subscription to Details Magazine mm. because it was like a New York nightlife magazine at that time in the 80s and started learning about like this was before Basquiat died. So like Basquiat was in there and like all oh, this At stuff. age 11, you're interested in fucking Andy Warhol, Basquiat, and you're doing heroin. I wasn't doing heroin at 11. You're the earliest <laughs> bloomer I've ever no. heard of. 13, you did heroin. 13, I did heroin. At your bat mitzvah. <laughs> you did heroin in the bathroom at your bat mitzvah. Is that the story? That, that, I, I didn't have one. You were pre, in your pre-contemplative Jew period. Yes, totally. You're, but that's okay. So what about okay, what about it? So I was in New York visiting my dad. I get into a cab, and that song comes on. I don't know if he was listening to like the radio or if it was a cassette. And he was a weird-looking guy, like kind of long hair, and he had big glasses on. And we were going down Ninth Avenue from the Upper West Side, going down 9th Avenue really fast. It was summer, the windows were open. I was going down to St. Mark's Place because I was already into like looking at 
I was probably 12. I don't think I was 11. It's crazy. And I just remember the windows were open and I knew the song because I had the album and I just was like sitting there like transfixed in the back seat, thinking like, oh, are we going to crash? But it was also kind of magical, like just the going down Ninth Avenue and like hot air coming in the windows and this like wild kind of cab driver and he had the music really cranked up. Maybe that was like a formative moment for me. Sounds like it. Yeah. It's like fucking I was <laughs> That's 12. That's why I did heroin. <laughs> I was like 12 watching like the Thundercats <laughs> eating jelly sandwiches. It's like I, 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 nothing was happening. Zooming past your apartment. Like nothing was happening when I was 12. But you were fucking... Well, I remember the first time I heard heroin was definitely in the Doors movie. Definitely. Oh, yeah. It was in the Doors movie. De- that definitely. was a lot later. Yeah. Well, that I mean, I still barely had done drugs at that oh, point. Right, right. I was like. You must have been like 19. No, I think I think I was like 16, 17 when the Doors movie came no. out. Yeah, I remember. I went to see it. I went to see it on 8th Street at the 8th Street Playhouse. My English teacher, Mrs. Lawrence, was there. You're going to see it's 1990 that the Doors movie came I out. I don't think so. All right. Well, great. Ask Aaron. Ask Aaron, what year did the Doors movie come out? Let's see. 1991. All right. I guess you were right. I guess so. Maybe she <laughs> called Ask Dave. But, um, but then... I like I got into drugs like I watched the Doors movie mm-hmm. and I was like I should do drugs like that I was like I should do drugs I still don't wash my pants because of the Doors movie because she's like Jim you haven't washed your leathers in six <laughs> weeks so I still don't wash my jeans because of that movie because I and I and my hair I stopped washing my hair to look like him this is a total non sequitur, but did you watch the Val Kilmer documentary? Yes. I haven't seen it yet. Oh my God. It's good, right? Powerful stuff. Yeah. Okay. It's what? crazy. The Val Kilmer documentary is is one of the most painful films I've mm. ever seen. Oh my God. You gotta see it. That sounds awesome. One of the most I love I mean, films. I'm such a fan of of the Doors movie, mm-hmm. of him as Jim Morrison. Mm-hmm. I'm so into it. I watched that movie, like Woodstock and The Doors, I watched hundreds of times to the tune of I was there. Right. I was in the movie. I watched it so many times. And uh, But then with me and the Velvet Underground was, I never really cared, mm-hmm. but when I got to purchase, like everyone listened to the Velvet Underground at SUNY Purchase. Mm-hmm. And... And it, what affected me about the Velvet Underground was the music, the drums, the bass, and the guitar had this perfect rock and roll jangliness that I wanted. I wanted, that's what I wanted my whole world to be, was rock and roll jangliness like the Velvet Underground. And I was still disconnected from the drugs. Mm-hmm. I was just a stoner and I, I tripped a lot. I wasn't looking for it, but I, it was probably that same thing. Even if you're in the 12 year old in the cab or you're in college yes. getting into it, it's like, you know, you're on that well, path. That's the thing I always say about like art is that it's a reflection of the experience of being human. So I think that things that resonate with us. Did you see the Velvet Underground aren't... documentary on Apple no, TV? No, I haven't watched it oh, yet. Oh my, you have to watch I it. Know. It's all Andy. But you know what it is. My neighbor is like the head of nonfiction at Apple TV too, and she told me about it, and I was like, I need to watch. What it, it isn't is, about, is it's not dopey. It's not about drugs. It's weird. It's weirdly not about drugs. Well, but they were so much more than drugs. I know, but but drugs are a huge portion. Another side note is 
I love Street Hassle so much. I never listened to that record. That was uh, Michael Imperioli's favorite Lou Reed record. The song Street Hassle on Street Hassle. I don't even know it. With Bruce Springsteen's like spoken word that comes in at the end. You've never heard it? No, I guess. Okay, it's... when we're done recording, we're going to listen to it. I'll listen to it right now. All right. It's beautiful, but it's really long. You can't listen to it right How now. How long is it? It's like 13 minutes long. And I, I kind of feel shitty that I never listened to Street Hassle. It's a really, really, really amazing record. I'm like, I am all in and I'm on a path like with music mm-hmm. and I'm all in like every, I know every Velvet Underground record, except, you know, they did a record without Lou Reed. They did After Loaded. They did a record. I never listened I to never that I never listened one. to that either. But uh, but then I didn't listen to the Lou Reed. I listened to Transformer, mm-hmm. and it's a great record. Uh, and I didn't listen to another Lou Reed record until New York. Like, I didn't listen to any of them. That's interesting. And I was such a Velvet Underground fan. Right. Isn't well, that weird? I think you'd really like Street Hassle. I will listen to it. Yeah. What else you got on this list? Uh, he mentioned, like, taking Norco's recreationally. And I was like, do, do people take Norco's recreationally? Yes. Nor- Norcos aren't very good. I never took them recreationally or prescribed, but I've heard this is I've heard people talk about that before. Because, you know, my Dr. D, who I used to go to, to yeah, like Dr. Detox, D, sure. he would that was like one of the things because it was like supposed to be like a replacement for You like the it heroin. when I say Dr. I D. I do. It's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. I mean that really was the initial of his last name. Uh-oh. He can't be alive anymore. There's no way. It looks like that. So my dad just walked in. So check it out. Hi. My dad walked in. I asked him to leave so we could record the second. Here, come here. I'm talking. What are you doing? The <laughs> second, the second you leave, the fucking guy comes to decock the bathroom. And guess who didn't watch your daily reflection today? I didn't. I didn't know. Oh, I was come, can, can, he starts talking to this guy. <laughs> uh, hello, everybody. I just walked in, and my son already is bothering me. So, Dad, tell them what we did today. Oh wow! I'm gonna be like worldwide. I'm I'm showing people how to make a pastrami sandwich. Do you think that's what kind of a big deal is that? How to make a pastrami? He was sandwich? he was terrible. <laughs> I, I mean, why does anybody? I said, a mannequin has got more charm than you oh, in that thing. Oh, you're ridiculous! Why does anybody need to know how to make a pastrami? It's simple. I mean, so they have to do a whole video on that. Terrible. I bet there are people that make a pastrami a, sandwich incorrectly. The pastrami in the video had more charm than my dad oh, laying on the plate. <laughs> dad, come on, say something. Come on. <laughs> Just to hear insults here? No. Uh, yeah, I, where, where is, when is it going to be on? I don't know. Somebody wrote a comment on Instagram that you are better looking than me, but thank God I got your charm. Oh, that's pretty good. That's good for you. That is good. That is. Well, what about the, oh, no, the November 11th, today's daily reflection. It's really very serious. Uh, and uh, now, Today is Friday, though. Oh, well, sorry. You have to look at November 11th's daily reflections and make your comments on that. My dad is like, he's hooked <laughs> on the fucking... Dad, come here. Be honest. How how much is your self-worth now linked to the comments of your appearances on Dopey and now Good Morning Dopey? Well, Be I, honest, please. I certainly like good comments and like my son, I don't like bad comments. No one's ever I, no, made a I bad comment. I don't think comment. I was going to say I've never seen a bad comment. Well, that's good. Let's keep it up. But yeah, that's good. <laughs> Did you ever hear the notorious one-star review about white privilege? No. Dad, do you want to read it to Aaron? Here, come on, this will be good. I scream loud from far away and say, no, I'm not reading it again. No, no, sorry. You don't want Aaron to hear it? No. Come on. 
Leave gonna, your poor dad. I'm going to read it. You read it. All right. By a privileged white man for privileged white men, like my dad. I sometimes, I'm not going to do it. We've read this, we read this one many, many times on the show. Now, okay, back to your list. Okay, so that was another note. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting is when he talked about the reasons that he doesn't go to 12-step meetings anymore because of the specific meetings he was going to. He said, I wrote this down, that young girls, he was sick of seeing young girls being taken advantage of by men with more, with a lot of time in 12-step meetings and the power dynamics and the shame of people who like made a mistake and came back and didn't feel welcome. And that really like struck me because I've talked to you, I've talked to you about that before, that that, that was a part of the problem for, for me in Los Angeles with the 12-step meetings I was going to are both of those things. <laughs> well, it's like I have a friend who recently relapsed mm -hmm. and he was like a big shot in his 12-step uh, meeting and now he w can't get honest because like he can't yeah. get honest. You know, he can't right. be anonymous. You know, there is no like denying that the people in the group are going to have a reaction right. and now he's going to go to another fellowship. Right. But that seems like a reasonable thing to do i mean well but i think you find that you're gonna find that within different fellowships no but if you show up at na after let's say you get sober in aa and right. you're sober for seven years and you make some decisions that aren't necessarily the most sober mm -hmm. and you need to start your day count over and you go to na and you say this is my first day here they're not going to treat you the way the people at aa no, would have treated you for being but there i was fucking up i was going to both NA. i mean in la you just kind of went to i mean i just went to both so it wasn't your, like no, a lot but, of people went to both no but my point is he <laughs> gets to start over right you know and it's i, I mean but like here, here's my thing is that like i remember once there was a guy i knew who relapsed and all these other guys i knew they didn't even have that much fucking time like three years four years were like oh you know like they weren't going to let him come to the men's meeting because he had to have like a certain number of days before he could come and he was feeling really isolated and i yelled at my friends because i was like dude that was you two years ago you fucking relapsed like a hundred times and you're not going to like he's asking to go to a meeting. He's not, he's sober. He might be on day two, but that's you. You're that guy. And that you're turning your back on him is fucked up. I really think so. And I know that they were frustrated that he had relapsed a lot, but like, I don't know. I think there is no, it's like when people are involved, people are flawed. Yes. For and sure. it's like, it's like sure. people hold a fellowship beyond the scope of the people that run it and it's just the people and it's like i would imagine i i think that if i relapsed right and i and the, the group that i go to right now mm -hmm. right if i went back to that group i think they would just be incredibly supportive of course but would they be if you relapsed the way you relapsed when you were younger meaning what like if you came back like you relapsed a few times a year I think it would be it would be it would be frustrating. Mm -hmm. There's a dude that goes to my meeting 
who's never really gotten any time together mm -hmm. and he's always in a state of relapse. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just frustrating. I don't think it's like, I mean, everyone knows he's a fuck up, but he is a fuck up. But if you're constantly relapsing, I mean, I when I was constantly relapsing, sure. I was a total fuck up. But, you know, I mean, like, not to be all cliche, but like, you know, that like there, but before the grace of God go, I, I always think of that because like that could be me so easily. But so what? You're so still a fuck up. My point is, is that like, I just have, it's like that thing of like we talked about before. It's like, I saw a lack of empathy and compassion from people consistently and that bothered me which is why i needed to go get like help from like professionals rather than that i needed a different path for me the lay people weren't good enough for ask oh, aaron carr stop what i'm no, saying i what, was constantly no, relapsing well I, I mean like i i hear you and it's like i i feel terribly when anyone doesn't have a good experience yeah. around 12 step but obviously it's a very small percentage of people that actually have success with it right um but it, it totally saved my life. So I, so I like, I'm yeah. here and I'm saying like, I don't talk about my, I guess I do talk about you my, you're I, doing I, the daily reflection. But I never <laughs> say that I'm a member of any fellowship. No, 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 no. I know that. I'm like the Orthodox Jew that chalks the neighborhood and turns on all the lights. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. But, <laughs> but it's, but it, but it's, I have like the robot driving car or something. I don't think it's like a a shock to anyone that you're in a 12 step fellowship. Listen, I may or I may not be in a 12 step. Right. Fellowship. And it may or may not <laughs> oh rhyme God. with gay Ray, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's not yeah, the point. But anyway, I appreciated hearing that from a man who uh -huh. recognized the thing, because as we've talked about before, you know, yes, like it was fun because there was a social aspect to meetings when I first was in the rooms at 23, but there was also like, super predatory thing with like guys who had like 15 years sober, 12 years sober, eight years sober, whatever. And I'm like 30 days showing up 23 years old. And those are the people that are like, you know, like, let me get your number. Let's go for coffee. Let's right, go to swingers right. after a meeting. Right. You Let's know. go to swingers. You don't remember swingers? Oh, the, mo the movie I remember. They oh have... no. The coffee shop on Beverly. Was that from the movie? No. It has no relation to the movie. It was, before the movie. I think it was there before the movie. Swingers it was there forever. I might no, I think they closed during the pandemic. No, I think they're still open, but I always thought they called it Swingers because it was in the movie. No, no. The the where they shot the coffee shop scene was at the Cafe One O one on Franklin. All right, take it easy. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right to humble brag, LA Aaron. Stop. But let's just slow down for a second. Yeah. Um I think to be a young, attractive woman at AA I can imagine that being different than being like an unattractive man at AA. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that the two things are very different. It was just, it's not, again, it's not like I didn't want like attention or didn't want that. But kind that's of not, that's not like great for spiritual development. No. And, and it's that thing of like, as I got older, seeing guys who were like in their mid thirties with time kind of, I don't know. I mean, it's not like nobody like pressured me into anything or anything. It's just that like they didn't have great boundaries with someone who had no boundaries. And they at, with in their mid 30s with that much time. Fucking be an example. Don't be that guy. Right. Well, it's it's people are weak. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like 
I've had some moments that I'm not proud of myself in these have. in these situations. <laughs> right. Uh, that's something that I'll, it's a, it's a it's a terrible story that I will never tell on Dopey. Never. Oh, well, thanks. Well, <laughs> the point is that like we all want to be perfect and we all want to never do yeah. the wrong shit and like and I'm not defending predators no, in no, no. or anything. I, I hear you. You know, and and like it's just I think it's hard for everybody and that's why the doctrine of men with the men, women with the women, you know, don't use it as a dating service, blah mm-hmm. blah blah. Those those ideas are incredibly helpful if mm-hmm. you're going to a 12-step meeting and you're a young woman, like I would I would stay with women and if you're a man leave the women alone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's like the way to start. Right. I think that's that's a way to kind of go through it. Right. But I hear you. Um I hear you. It, it's a slippery slope. It it, it really is. It and is. you just want people to be successful and you don't want people to be predatory and you want you want people to have a good time and not blow it. Because they're having a good time. I will also tell you, I can't say this on Dopey, but Uh-oh. I will tell you a story about an actor who had extremely predatory behavior with young women in L.A. It was Robert Downey Jr., right? No, no, no. Was it Val Kilmer? No. When he had the voice? No, it's not anyone. You're not going to guess who it is. So I guess to sum up, if you go to 12 Steps, be as cool as you can be. Yes. And just do your thing. Be careful. Do your best. Let your freak, freak flag fly. Now... <laughs> What's up with Ask Aaron? What do you got? Uh, I think you have the questions. I have the questions? I do. You do. So you can pick. I brought a few, and you can pick one. All right. Just pick the one on top. It doesn't matter. All right. Let's do it. Hi, Aaron. I heard your Dopey episode. It was super inspiring. Thank you. Weird. Kind of greater than three, which means heart. I saw your Ask Aaron post today, and it reminded me of my situation. I need help. So I accidentally discovered that my six years boyfriend has blocked me on Instagram. I asked him why, and he said he deactivated his account, which obviously was a lie because I checked from another account. I gave him a week so dark in here <laughs> i gave him a week without confronting him wishing this was just a mistake a stupid thing for a random reason and that he would correct it i wasn't even going to ask for an explanation or an apology but a week went by and he didn't unblock my account so i openly asked him why he blocked me he said he had so many reasons that he certainly dislikes telling talking to me about problems <laughs> He then went on to give these excuses. He hates that I suggest who he follows and who he doesn't follow. He hates my investigations. He overall hates getting in arguments with me. I was shocked. This is a great, great question. I was shocked, hurt, and and disappointed regarding the fact that for the past year and a half, I hadn't said a single word about who he follows, even though some of them make me uncomfortable, and he knows that. But because I admit having trust issues, I held myself back from doing it. I'm really lost. I understand why he should do this and justify it with so many invalid and rude reasons. What should I do? I mean, I'm not going to give you an answer you like, person, because... Leave him alone. Let him do his own Instagram. I think I He set a nice boundary. I understand why he doesn't want you up in his Instagram. Now, 
unless he's sliding into DMs, who cares who he follows or likes their posts or whatever? My husband like follows. How do you slide into a DM? Aren't you just DMing? What? Are, what yeah. is sliding? Where's the slide? Well, it's because it's all slick, right? Like, woo, it's but like, it's not slide. You're just messaging, I know, right? He's not sliding. If he's messaging people. Can or, you slide? What's the slide? I don't know. It's just being sneaky. But it's just messaging. If yes, I message you, I'm not sliding into your it DMs. Is. I'm it's messaging an expression. you. expression. It's a turn of phrase. I know. I continue, please. <laughs> so, I mean, like, what I was going to say is, like, my husband follows a lot of, like, attractive women on Instagram. Yes. And, and I fully trust he's not sliding. messaging or sliding into no DMs. Sliding. I don't freaking care. Like, I, why? I, I mean, I don't, like, that's not... I don't have any interest in monitoring my partner's social media activity. If I feel the need, then there's either a problem within our relationship or a problem with me. Well, it sounds to me like you don't have the issue of needing to control them. No. So Mm -hmm. I certainly do not look at what my partner may or may not be doing in social media at all. Right. But I am perfect. I have no cares in the world. I'm, <laughs> everything is perfect for me. But I under I, I, I know I'm not gonna name any names, but I know some people who are very concerned where their partners right. might look at social media. And the truth is it's always Pandora's box. It's like if you start looking and You'll if find you find something and if mm-hmm. you put weight into what they do, it's gonna go bad. I actually get this question a lot. I'm sure. Because, and it's always like something of like, oh, he's like my boyfriend's liking posts or leaving comments. We had a question like this before, I think. And yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's, you're I don't think we answered crazy. it. I, I think or maybe you and I just talked about it. I think, I think I read, I read that question. I think with something like this is your it's better just to keep your, like Long Island AA, the greatest expression of Long Island, <laughs> just keep your fucking mouth shut. Right. That's Long Island AA. Right. And it's like, I got into a fight this morning and I, I heard it. Just keep your fucking mouth shut. And I didn't. And I didn't. And, and of course I was stressed. Everything worked out. And if I, but we got into a fight because I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I think like a long time ago, my husband told me, was it his dad that gave him this advice? Somebody gave him the advice that like, just don't say the next thing. Right. Just don't say it. Well, your husband seems very, very bright and, and he's, slick with he's that very, kind of shit. He's very, like, not, he's not the guy that's going to, like, pick some dumb fight. Right, okay? I'm or, that guy. Or, or yeah. keep it going. I, like, I, I knew for hours <laughs> this morning not to do it, and I did it anyway. Right. I just, I just, that's how I, Right. it's, it's how I roll. It's how I slide. That's what I do. Slide into. I slide into the argument. Argument. (laughs) Well, this was another groundbreaking episode. Ask Aaron Carr. Did you have a good time? I did. I always do. It's fun. Well, there you go. I mean, we could probably sit here and talk for like two hours, but I don't think anyone would listen that long. Maybe on the next Patreon, you'll find Ask Aaron Carr talking with me for two hours. (laughs) About dumb shit. Yeah. Well, that's always the best kind of stuff to talk about. But thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Michael Todd, for for getting super honest. Please send in fucking emails and voicemails. Any used email or voicemail will get a new pair of dopey socks. And stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Toodles. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad.
wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good, so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. And I wanna take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by. And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. And my shadows get smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Shadows getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. And I wonder would they pay it any mind when I leave this busted city far behind? I'll take the high road, however far it winds. Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And these suckers make me mad and I want to call my dad and it's all I ever had 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 and these suckers make me mad and it's all I ever had and I want to call my dad and it's all I ever had and it's all I ever had and it's all I ever had